right. I want to thank you for uh, last hour. It was good. The, uh, the second hour tonight is, is devoted more to you than, uh, than to training. What I'd like to do is just put up on the board questions from a faith perspective that you feel uncomfortable or inadequate to, res- uh, to which you can respond. So, whatever it may be, we'll put it up there. If it's a slam dunk, we'll make fun of you, and then we'll give you the slam dunk. If it's not a slam dunk, then we'll, uh, we'll try and explore a good response. But that's, that's my desire for tonight. There are uh, several folks listening throughout the world, believe it or not. Um, Trinidad and Tobago, the middle of the country, Colorado, Toronto, um, they're all over the place. And, and they have questions like this. And uh, I've encouraged them to, to email them. But before they do that, I wanted to give you the opportunity. So come on, give me. Question that theologically you have trouble answering. <clears throat> Go ahead. But is being saved, quote unquote, born again, um, having the Torah written on your heart? And if so, has that happened for me, for us, for the elect? Has that taken place in a believer's heart? Excellent question. Most people are afraid to ask that question. We'll get to that one in a second. Give me another question. Let's put a bunch on the board. <clears throat> to be absent from the uh, body, the presence of the Lord, yet even in Revelations, talk about you know, um, uh, uh, the souls of the souls under the altar, and uh, you know, uh, Lord, how long will it be before you know you avenge our deaths? What's the question? Um, what is being present with the Lord? Uh, okay. Yeah, see with a line over it is Greg Shorthand, which is long before most any of you were born. Uh, see with a line over it is with. S with a line over it is without. Uh, when I was in high school, you had to take Greg Shorthand as a required course. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we don't aspire to be close Nor did I. This is kind of silly. But I love silly. Go silly. Same thing. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. Good. That's, that's an excellent question. Excellent question. We may have to start with that last one to move forward. Anything else?
Where's Ken right now? Taking an important call. It's a bigger name on the other line. Yeah. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll see if he's got something that he wants to ask when he comes back. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this is uh, uh, it's in uh, Luke 17 at the end. Um, you know, there will be two women uh, grinding together. One will be taken, one will be left. And, and they said to him, uh, where were they? He said to them, where the corpse is, there is the vultures. vultures. Yes, the parallel passage is Matthew chapter 24. Same thing there. Did you want to put that down as a question? What are the vultures all about? Yes. Yes. What's up with the vultures? Yes. Okay. Yes, Peter. That's the A.W. for you boys. It would seem that baptism is maybe representing some sort of change of status, something like that. But I don't see that as much in the Old Testament. It seems more like it's a purity or a ritual purity. I have a person. I don't know how it all makes up. In fact, he also says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Go ahead. And then there's the whole, you know, turn the other cheek thing. Yes. So how do we, how do we correlate those two? What's the balance? Reconcile. How do we reconcile both of those? How would they have a sword and turn the other cheek? It, it should, there shouldn't be a balance. It should be both. The sword and the turning of the cheek. So turn the cheek and then come around the backside of the sword. Okay, that'll certainly keep us busy for a while and possibly longer than this class. So I'm, uh, I'm watching the time. Is being saved or born again? Is the writing of the Torah on my heart? All of that stuff, which is, where is that Jeremiah reference? Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Good? Yeah? Okay. So... Why don't we begin by reading that out loud? Can you do the honor for us, Noah? 31 through 34, yes. It's kind of funny. Noah is a girl's name. Noah is the male name. But when we bring it into English, Noah becomes the boy's name, and we just drop the girl's name. Kind of weird. So, no problem. <laughs> Noach. Yeah. Give me, uh, give me those verses, would you? Read, uh, read robustly now. Okay, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty. Behold, days are coming, the word of Adonai, when I will seal the covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I sealed with their forefathers on the day that I took hold of the, their hand and took them out of the land of Egypt. For they, for they, sorry, they abrogated my, my covenant, although I, I became their master, the word of Adonai. For this is the covenant that I shall seal with the house of Israel after those days, the word of Adonai. I will place my Torah within them, and I will write their write it into their heart 
I will be a God for them, and they will be my a people for me. They will no longer teach, each man his fellow, for each man his brother, saying, Know Adonai, for all men will know me, from their smallest to their greatest, the word of Adonai, when I will forgive their iniquity and will no longer recall their sin. Okay. So we begin with uh, first our timeline wall. If this is uh, this is our base corner, which is today, two thousand. I back up a thousand years on this wall, and I'm at one thousand in the common era. What does that mean, the common era? It's it's after the sacrifice of Yeshua or after the birth of Yeshua, right? This would be called the common era. It's commonly known as these years because they started recounting then. What's before the common era? BCE, not BC, which is before Christ. This is BCE, before the common era. So we still all agree that zero is over here, but the Jews would refer to it as the common era and before the common era. Why do they do it that way? They don't like Latin. They don't want to what? Yeah, they don't want to deal with recognizing Yeshua as Lord. Okay. By the way, it's not 7 B.C., and 7 A.D. That's grammatically incorrect. It's 7 B.C. and A.D. 7. A.D. is Anno Domini. It is the year of our Lord, 7. The A.D. comes before the numbers, not after. B.C. and B.C.E. both come after the numbers. So, we're in zero, uh, 2000 of the Common Era. 1000, I've got a Zadik in that wall corner. Who is it? Rashi, great commentator. You, uh, you read line-by-line line commentary in your Bibles today. Maybe it's the MacArthur Study Bible. Maybe it's the uh, K. Arthur Precept Study Bible. Who knows what study Bible it is, but line-upon-line line commentary was first done by that man. Amazing. A thousand years before that, the tzaddik in this wall, corner is Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach. Yeshua the Messiah. A thousand years before that, the tzaddik in that wall is David HaMelech, David the King. One thousand years before the Master, two thousand, three thousand years before us, in the year 1000 BCE. One thousand years earlier in that corner, the tzaddik is Avraham Avinu, Abraham, our father, Avinu. It ends with Inu, right? It's our father, Avraham Avinu, 2,000 years before the master, and then 1,000 years earlier, Noach, right? We've got Noah and uh, preparing his ark. And then 1,000 years before him, we've got here, Adam. Adam is right here. This is the creation of the world at the time, zero. 1,000, I've got Noah. 2,000, I've got Abraham. 3,000, I've got David. 4,000, I've got Yeshua. 5,000, I've got Rashi. 6,000, or we're actually in 5772. It's pretty close. I've got you. God help us. No. <laughs> so... Noah is reading to us about the prophet Yirmiyahu. Jeremiah. Quickly, in your mind, point. Where is he on these four walls? Well, since they pointed physically, you go ahead and point. Yeah. All of the prophets, every prophet in the Bible, is somewhere in this first half of this wall. Every one of them. From David, you get Solomon. Then the kingdom splits. 
And then eventually, the Assyrians come and take the northern kingdom, and then the Babylonians come and take the southern kingdom, and we're in captivity. We're in the first, first exile, which is called in Hebrew the Galut. Galut, right? So this is Resh Galut, the first exile. They come back, rebuild the temple. It's the second temple by Shani, right? Shani for second. And by the middle here, this last little bit, we've got the final prophets, and we've got a holiday that's coming up in just a month. The Book of Esther and Purim. All right? When you get to the middle here, we start the men of the great assembly and a leading up to the coming of our master. So we're about, I'd say, 600 years, 550 years before the master's day. What tense would you say this particular passage is that you read? Is it past tense, present tense, or future tense? It's future tense. So God is saying, a day will come when I'm going to do all this stuff. Yes, right. Israel and Judah will become one again. Ah. Out of Egypt. Yeah. So when they came from the mountain, we've got one, and then they split. So they're going to be back together again and considered as one. So that's, has that happened yet? That hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything in the future state that's spoken of here that you would believe has come to pass yet? I don't care personally at all. It's completely irrelevant to me. Just read and tell me, is there anything there that has come to pass? Well, the writing of the Torah on our hearts is believed to have happened. Yeah, but but I'm not asking you about everybody else. I'm looking just at the text. Well, seeing that you can't actually observe it, we don't really know, I guess. But I don't know if that's true, Noah. I was going to say, textually, can you say that any of it has come to pass yet? I don't think you can say. But, can I tell if the Torah is written on your heart? What does the scripture say will happen when that occurs? Well, it appears that that happens at the same time that you will not, no longer need to teach yeah. your fellow man the Torah because you'll already know it. And I will not have to teach every man his fellow who God is. Because they will know the Lord. And that's know in the same way that Adam knew Chava, in the same way that Adam knew Eve. This is an experiential, covenantal type experience. Right? This is the kind of experience that you don't have on a one-off. So until that day happens, I question if the Torah is actually going to be written on the fleshy tables of your heart, which is the other passage in Ezekiel. Um, no, what I'm saying is that God is going to do a work in us such that I believe it's implying we will no longer sin. Right. Well, and this happens... I'm sorry? Right. Or he has passed judgment. Um, I don't know that you can equate the two. You may be mixing together two events. I realize that with the advent of Yeshua, that has happened. But I would argue that happened at the foundation of the world. He was slain from the foundation of the world. How did Adam get saved? How does he have a place in the world to come? Yeshua's blood. Noah, Yeshua's blood. Right? But the blood hadn't been shed yet. But still, its efficacy is there. So I think, you know, we, we mess up when we try and put God in a chronological sequence. There doesn't appear to be one there. So I'm still arguing that that hasn't happened yet. There was a point of scripture here I wanted to read in John. Actually, Ken and I were talking about this, and I wanted to bring it before all of you. Uh, and it's in chapter 3. Does it have to do with this? Yeah. Good. Go ahead. Uh, because it was something that 
chapter 3, starting with verse 1, and I will go down to... John chapter 3. For all of you, it is my opinion that when someone names a chapter of the Bible, you should know the topic. And I want to challenge you, men. I mean, if you want to be a wimp, you don't need to be coming on Tuesday night. You want to step up to the next step, the next ladder rung. Guys, if somebody says John 3, whose name should pop into your head? Nikki, right? This is talking about Nick, right? When does he come to him? At night. There was a man. And he came to him at night. And there we go. Who was Nick? He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Proshim. Right? This guy's got money. Do you know that this guy's mentioned in the Talmud? Do you know that this man is famous for providing for all of the Jews in Israel? All of the Jews in Jerusalem, for sure. He was so wealthy. Who buried our master? Two guys. Joe and Nick. And they're both Pharisees. They're both wealthy. Okay? Is wealthy bad? No. Is Pharisee bad? No. Is Jew bad? No. Okay? So we leave the baggage. I believe that if I give you a chapter of the Bible, you should know what it says. You don't need to have it memorized word for word. But you should know it. You should be people of the book. Shame on us if young Jewish Orthodox boys at the age of six can tell you all the birds in the Bible in order. My goodness. I, well, let's see, what's the first bird? Darn. Got a chapter you should know what it's about. John chapter 3. I know we're talking about Nick. What's it say? Verses 1 through 8. This man came to Yeshua by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know it is from God that you have come as a teacher. For no one can do these miracles you perform unless God is with him. Yes, indeed, Yeshua answered him. I will tell you that unless a person is born again from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nakdemon said to him, How can a grown man be born? Can he go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Yeshua answered, Yes, indeed, I tell you that unless a person is born from water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born from flesh is flesh, and what is born from Spirit is Spirit. Stop being amazed at my telling you that you must be born again. Uh, from above, yes. Now the wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, where it's going. That's how it is with everyone who has been born from the Spirit. Okay, the question that I have is, is... Yeshua referring to a, a uh, transformation that happens over time. Because as I was thinking about Nakdemon's question about a man being born a second time, I began to not look at his question literally and began to wonder if maybe he was asking if it's an instantaneous thing. And so Yeshua is saying, no, it's actually quite the opposite. That it's a process. It's almost like a gestation period. And then at the end, when this corruptible puts on incorruption, that's when the actual new birth is when we're made like Okay. Um, all right. It's, it's, it's a little, little off topic, but uh, um, I, would, I would respond this way. I don't think that the Master is talking about point in time versus process as much as a misconception and misunderstanding 
of the power of God. And uh, I would defend that by asking you if you can tell me who is Nick. How is he described? Okay, so he's a ruler of the Jews, so he's in charge. Yes. That's big. Second, he's a Pharisee. That's big. What's that mean? Piously, scrupulously pious. Right? He's zealous, he knows the Torah, and he's keeping it to the nth degree. So this is not a guy who doesn't know the Scripture. Right. Anything else it says about him? Well, the, 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 uh, the, the nature of the visit at night. The nature of it at night. We can assume that. I think it's an assumption, but I agree with the assumption. But there's one other thing there. What does he say to the Master? He acknowledges that he is a God, because if he weren't a God, he couldn't do miracles. He's seen, and he believes he's from God. Okay. I got a leader who's a scrupulously pious man who believes that Yeshua is from God. What's he ask? Um, he came to him at night. What did he ask him? Well, he asked him, uh, can a man be born a second time? No. Oh. Why did he go to him at night? Can he be born a, a second time was his question to Yeshua's statement. Why did he go to him at night? Obviously, we don't have the whole conversation. Bang, bang. Hello? Shalom? Hi, it's Nick. How are you? <laughs> Can I come in for just a minute? A couple of questions. Theological in nature, but I won't stay long. Well, it doesn't seem to say that he believed he was Messiah. In verse 2, it says, No man can do these things except he be from God. He knows he's from it's God. Like he has a question mark. Well, he knows he's from God. All right. You're Mashiach. Nobody can do this unless they're from God. And then Jesus dot, dot, dot. What do you say about that? Yeah, what do you say about that? Who are you? Yeah. The question behind the statement is like, who are you? Yeah, it's like, what does Yeshua say? That Doesn't that seem like a non sequitur to you? Doesn't it seem like it doesn't follow? It doesn't seem to follow. What's the deal with that? It's like we missed a line. There's an implication in this man's question, is there not? I believe, we all believe, he doesn't say me, he says we, right? He's doing it together. So, you know, you know I, it's almost like he's been set. I just want you to know, we, we, we're thinking, you can't do this stuff. Unless you come from God. And the implication is, yeah. Who, who are you? What's, what's up here? Find out if he's the Messiah or not. Evidently. Or something along those lines. So Yeshua comes out with this seemingly out of, out of the left field comment, truly I say to you, you cannot be born again. You cannot be, what is it? You, you have no place in the world to come? Yeah, you, cannot see the kingdom. you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. So it's almost like he's saying, oh, you want to see the kingdom of God. Right? That's almost the implication to John's statement, at least in Yeshua's mind. Otherwise, his response would make no sense. We know you've got to be from God. Therefore, trusting in you would give us a place in the world to come, or something along those lines. And it caused Yeshua to say, truly I say to you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, 
What did he just say in Nick's mind? Why would he think that? That's not what you think. Why would Nick think that? What did born again mean in this guy's day back here? What was the context of the day? You got to convert to Judaism. That's what born again is. Born again means you convert to Judaism. You ritually convert to Judaism because when you come up out of the water, by the way, the mikvah, by the way, has steps on either side of a railing. You hold on to the railing, you walk down into the water, and you dunk yourself, you come up, sometimes you dunk more than once, and you walk out the other steps, and when you come out of the water, the Talmud says, this man, this Gentile, has truly been born again, and he is an Israelite indeed. In fact, he's to be treated as a Jew, as if he were born a Jew. That's what this man believed. That's what he'd been taught. That's what they were teaching. He's a teacher of the Jews. That's what he's teaching. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It does. So now, now Nick is teaching, you want a place in the world to come? You want to see the kingdom of God? You need to convert to Judaism. Really? I think the focus in this passage, in these first couple of verses, is the fact that he's a teacher. That's big. He's a leader, but he's a teacher. And he's teaching people, if you want to have a place in the world to come, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. What does that mean? You've got to convert to Judaism. You've got to ritually convert. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to agree to keep the, both the oral and the, and the written Torah. And you've got to go through the mikvah. You've got to be baptized. And what's the master saying? The master is saying that Hashem is the agent. That's it. And it's not circumcision... <laughs> down here it's circumcision right here it's circumcision in the heart now back to your question has your heart been circumcised? well is the circumcision of the heart the Torah being written on my heart? I'm asking you has your heart been circumcised? that's what I was asking forget Jeremiah 31 has your heart been circumcised? are they the same? I didn't ask you if they're the same I'm asking you a question. Forget Jeremiah 31. This man just read that God's got to do a work in your heart or you cannot see the kingdom of God. Has your heart been circumcised? Yes. Have you been born of the Spirit? Yes, in a way, but what what if this... If the answer is yes, then you've got the answer to Jeremiah 31. It couldn't possibly have happened yet. It couldn't possibly have because you would never sin and you would never have to evangelize because that can't be what he's talking about. Because he made it clear you couldn't see the kingdom of heaven until that this has happened. Not that. He didn't mention anything about writing the Torah on the heart. He just said you need to be born of the Spirit. He just said that God needed to do the work, not man. That's John 3. It's not up to you. It's up to Him. God does the work. You don't need to convert to Judaism. That's not the key. Yes, it's true. You need to be joined to God's people. But there's nothing you can do joining God's people to get yourself saved. He's got to circumcise your heart. But that can't be the same as writing the Torah on your heart because He puts it in with a list of other things that we know have not happened. Are you susceptible to sin? Do you still sin? Don't you make it a practice to share your faith with other people? But according to that, you won't have to do that, Noah, when that fully comes to pass. Has some of it started? Absolutely. We've got prophecies in these 500 years that we know have started to come to pass. We were told back then that they would get kicked out of the land again. We were told back then that he would gather his people up again. But in 1948, almost 2,000 years after the Master, after the Roman exile, he did gather his people. And they became a people in the land again. So, 
some of that stuff is beginning to come to pass. But I think we can put a pretty strong argument together about it not all having come to pass yet. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's a biggie right off the bat. That's a biggie. But I, I think, even if you put that aside, some of the things the Master says to Nick, and some of the things he says to the people in general, are obviously coming to pass. And 3,000 and 5,000 people came to believe in him, and evidently met the criteria that he gives in John chapter 3. And yet, we can see in Jeremiah 31, especially in Ezekiel, it hasn't happened yet. There's stuff there that's just not there. Why would you have to study the Torah if you're going to know the Torah? He's going to write it on your heart. Because, I mean, what's, what's the heart in Hebrew? It's what we call the head. Right? It's where I make my choices. It's how I make my moral decisions. It's who I am. He's going to write the Torah there. So I make his decisions, my decisions, according to his word, always. So the Torah and the next is a filter almost, where we make our decisions. Precisely. So that the decisions are no longer made by my will, but his will. Right? The way the Father, you know, he said, not my will, but your will be done, that kind of thing. It's the same deal. What's the head in Hebrew? It's the exact opposite of what we know. It's, It's the heart for us. Right? The heart in Hebrew is what we call the head. The head in Hebrew is what we call the heart. Tell me something. I'm thinking back. Big guy. Real tall. How did he die? No. Not true. He got a stone embedded between his eyes from a shepherd boy. And it said he died. How did he fall? Now that's odd. He got hit. You'd think he'd fall backwards. He didn't. He fell forward. Maybe he did. Maybe there was a, an angel holding the back of his head. Oops. Got it. Why did he cut his head off? The scripture says he was dead already. Why did he cut his head off? To demonstrate to everyone that he was surely dead. How do you know? He's got his head. He cut his head off. The head of the source of life. Right? We'd put a double tap in his heart. They'd take the head off. I think you can argue very strongly that very little of Jeremiah 31 has already happened. Okay, with that said... This is a follow-up question. No, no, no. Well, it's, it's odd that you brought that up because I was kind of including that concept within this thought because we know that the kingdom of God is coming after we, our, our bodies are renewed and changed. We're transformed into new creatures, into incorruptible beings. Do you think that the kingdom of God is a time, not a place? That's interesting. No. Well, it's coming, right? Really? Are you a member of the kingdom? Yes. How can that be if it's not here? Well, it's... This is a process, like you're saying. Like, it's begun, but it's not complete. What has begun? The the new birth. The The new birth of the man? I think so, because doesn't that sound like a new creature being born within the spirit and that incorruptible being being presented afterwards? I mean... I don't know. I think it could be that that actual creation. That's very cool. That's very cool. I think it's completely fanciful, and it's and it really fits nicely. But I I just don't think that the Bible speaks of it. But you know, I mean, it, but it sounds really really cool. What was the master's message? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom, or is that hand. Is at hand? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. Where was sin? Where was Satan? Crouching at the door, right here, waiting for you to stumble. There was a lot of stuff that was right nearby. It was all like right there. What did he want them to do? 
Why? Why did they need to repent then and not tomorrow? Why should they repent? Because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. If you don't feel like an ambassador for a different kingdom walking around, something's wrong with your faith. We represent a different king. Some of us don't represent him at all. Some of us don't represent him well. You bet. And we need to walk representing a different king. I'm a member of that kingdom today. That means the kingdom exists. Where is the kingdom? It's in you. It's in me. It's in us. So, what's that, what's that speaking of? I mean, literally, I mean, we are admitted into the kingdom to come, though. Right? I mean, it's we are so you're, part of it. So you're doing the whole Lord's Prayer deal. <laughs> well, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. <laughs> right? That's, that's what you're quoting, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know. What if, what if the, the circumcision of the heart yes. is the Torah being engraved in our heart? What if it's the same event? Well, you know, that... That's a neat concept. I don't think you've got any correlation other than reading Jeremiah 31 at the same time that you happen to read John 3. That's very classy. But I just don't know that it works. What's circumcision? It's carving. Give me one word. Um, or skin. <laughs> That's the word. It's a removal it's a removal of, in, 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 in the vernacular, a hardened part, right? So he's going to take the stony heart and he's going to t- give, put a fleshy heart in. He's going to circumcise our heart. He's going to remove that hard outer coating, right? And it'll be soft and pliable and able. I'm sorry? Well, I think, I think that that's the desire. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Prophet Yoel speaks of that too. The, um, as far I think it's in chapter 3, as far as uh, um, writing, <clears throat> Hashem writing his law, his Torah, on the fleshly tablets. Fleshly tables of your heart. Of That's exactly right. So, so um, it, it all comes back to a work of God setting you apart. And then a sanctification work that he does. Does he do it now? Absolutely. Does he do it all now? If he does, I'm a little concerned personally. I think it ties in with the apostolic uh, writings where, you know, Philippians where it says he would become a good work and he would be faithful to complete it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a concept also that Keith brings out without perfection. Well, I, I mean, don't, but don't, don't, you know, you were you were on the verse. Finish the verse. He'll be faithful to complete it. Unto the, unto the coming of so, something's going to happen. I mean, First yeah. Corinthians fifteen says something's going to happen to me the at the coming of, of our Lord. John, yeah. When when he comes back, this mortal will put on immortality. This flesh will put on spirit. There's obviously a change in the twinkling of an eye. We shall all be changed. What, what kind of change is going to happen then if it's not the change that's described there? Is there a different change? What's going to happen? Right? So, I don't know if we got the answer, but at least it gives you some food, food for thought. All right. Is being saved or born again? Is the writing of the Torah in my heart? Has this happened? Your mileage may vary. Reconcile sword and cheek turning. When is the sword mentioned? He made it clear he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean? 
he didn't come to reconcile families, but to pit father against son and mother against daughter. Justice. He's dividing. Justice. Righteousness. Righteousness. Circumcision. Sanctification. Okay. So you've got this whole deal of, I am with the Lord, you're not. What fellowship has light with darkness? I mean, we're just not going to get along. There's going to be a problem here. Okay? That's most of your... Uh, comments about sword. What about the cheek turning? Where is that, by the way? What chapter? Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking the day-to-day interaction, right? Yeah, yeah. This is more of the character with which you should carry yourself throughout the day. I mean, I'm from New York. Most of you are not from New York. Take the coat. (laughs) If you can't run real fast, you don't want to take that coat. Because I'm going to get you. And then I'm going to, whoop, you're about. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Right? Double tap, we're done. But that's not how we should act. We should be, as he is, a man of forgiveness. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the description that Paul gives in the letter to the Ephesians about marriage and husbands. Guys, guys, you need to forgive your wives. You need to love them. And this whole concept of, my goodness, if you act like the world does, Paul does this all the time. He goes, whoa, 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 you're acting this way? Even the heathens, even the pagans, the Gentiles don't act that way. What's wrong with you? Your behavior should be different if you're in the body of Messiah. And I think that's where he's talking about in Matthew 5, right? He's, he's bringing up that whole concept that your behavior is decidedly different now. That's how we can know that you are in the family. Because you seem to have a different reaction than the norm. Before, I was this way. Now I'm this way. There seems to be a couple I think, really, you've got a different mindset. This world is not why I'm here. I'm just visiting. I'm an ambassador from a different kingdom. You want to take the coat? Take the coat. I'm just a steward. It's not my house. It's his house. He just let me take care of it for him. How well am I taking care of it? That kind of thing. It's It's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. Or he who can bridle his tongue has true self-control, right? So I, I think I think I can work with this. The sword stuff, the master is talking about end times and separation of believers and non-believers and the hassles and the issues of life when it comes to his people versus not his people. But the cheek turn. That's how I need to. That's how I need to deal with people. What about the master when you know, there was a point, I know, when, when he chose the twelve, that they didn't have a sword, and then later on, Yeshua said, you know, is there a sword? We need a sword, basically. They said, well, we got one short sword. That's enough. And then they went off to the, to, the, uh, yeah. uh, to Gethsemane. Uh, I, I, do, I truly think it's just an end times prophecy, or a, a prophecy about his... Uh, uh, betrayal. If that was the only sword in inventory, that's the one that cut off. Malchus's ear, yeah. So, you know, that kind of thing. So I, th- I think, we, you know, we've got two different things going there. Um, absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. What in the world is that all about? Well, thinking about the times when we are in His presence, 
him for eternal Sabbath, and, and like when we draw near to him you know, through the offerings spelled out in Leviticus. Yeah, I think this is. Um, I think this is a physical thing. To be absent from the body, which means clearly you're dead. So, what's the meaning of your present with the Lord? I think the bigger question is when. I'm saying instantaneously that you've expired. Paul made it clear I'd rather be gone. I'd rather not stick around here. But for your sake, I will stick around. But man, it'd be great to be with the Lord right now. It's almost as if, you know, He's. He's looking through this window, kind of fogged up from the steam, and he can see the master in there, and he's like, I'm stuck here. It's okay. It's okay. It's better for me, for you, it's better for me to stay here, but I'd rather be in there. It appears to be an immediate thing. It seems pretty clear if you piece all the stuff together. Uh, This man was stoned and thought to be dead, and they walked away and left him. Paul later talks about this as being caught up into the third heaven. There he is in the throne room of God where few men have ever been. And it's almost as if the Lord is saying, you know what? Back you go. Not ready for you yet. And he gets up and walks into the city. And they're freaked out. Holy cow, the guy just, I mean, we stoned him to death and he, he lived. Wow. Ask him for the body, present with the Lord. Where is he now? Where is the Lord now? He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Where is the Father? Okay, where is that? Where is it? Is it true that Yeshua has a physical body? Did he have a physical body when he was here? Yes. Did he die? Did the body die? Was the body raised from the dead? Yes. Did he walk around in the same body in which he died? You sure? It was not transformed. When John, when John says that we're going to... No, but what I'm saying is corporeal. Same physical body. Yes. Same yes? Physical body. I mean, it, it was either the same body or he's a liar. It's you agree? It was raised, but it's different. It can't die. I don't know that it was different. It still had holes in the hands. He still had holes in the hands. No, not that different. But What's different about it? It's incorruptible. It, it's, it's, okay. It, it can't die. Okay. It's incorruptible, it can't die, it's not susceptible to sin. What we would call a glorified body. But it's the same body. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Same body. Glorified, not susceptible to sin. Before he died, regular body like we have. After he died, now he's got a body that can walk through walls, right? He can walk on water now, right? He can go through locked doors, right? He already walked on water. He already walked on water. What about passing through walls? There's no evidence he did that. There's no evidence he couldn't do that before he died. I mean, the guy's God. I mean, you know, he's got some leverage there. Does it say that he just and materialized in the room? Yeah. He appeared. Poof, he's there. Wait a minute. Nathaniel did the same deal. And Nathaniel's in the middle of the desert. Sees the, the, the carriage going. You know, and the Lord says, catch up to the carriage. And listen, guys, read Isaiah. Do you know what that says? Do you know what that's all about? Well, I actually could use some help on this. Glad you're here. Hop in. <laughs> and they're traveling along a little while. Hey, here's water. What stops me from getting baptized right now? I can do that mikvah thing. Sure, come on out. And he baptizes him, brings him into the water, right? <laughs> And Nate's gone again. What's up with that? It's the same thing that the master did. But Nate didn't go through that death deal. Uh, I have something in Acts that I want to read and bring before everyone. And it's Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 32. Brothers, I know I can say to you frankly that the patriarch David died and was buried, his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, since he was a prophet, 
and knew that God had sworn an oath to him that one of his descendants would sit on his throne, he was speaking in advance about the resurrection of the Messiah, that it was he who was not abandoned in Shoal and whose flesh did not see decay. God raised up this Yeshua, and we are all witnesses of it. Now, there are other variations where Kepha is saying that the patriarch David is both dead, buried in his tomb, is with us to this day, and he said, for David has not descended into the heavens. So, in terms of Paul's statement, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, is it talking about when your next conscious thought is the presence of the Lord. When that shofar blows and all of a sudden, like in the moment of a twinkling of an eye, you're in the presence of the Lord. That could be cool. It's interesting that you reference one, you read one verse, but you reference another. So where does it say that King David did not do that? Um, 34. Read it. What's it say? Um, for David did not ascend into heaven, but he says, and then goes on to, Adonai said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Right, so that's not talking about David's body in any way, shape, or form, right? It's pointing out that when he wrote it, he wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about Yeshua. Yeshua, right. Psalm chapter 2, right? He's not talking about himself because we don't have any evidence that he went up there. The evidence is that the Master did. That's, I think, you know, let's not pull it out of context. All right. What happens to those guys who get their heads chopped off in the time of Jacob's trouble? Souls are under the altar. So, their bodies don't have these white robes that everybody else has. Their souls are under there. Where are the bodies? No bodies. Nearly 20 chapters later, these guys are raised, get bodies, and they're given their white robes. Couldn't give them white robes before, nobody to put it on. What? Robes on the floor. Plus, where are you going to put the neck? I mean, you can't put a necktie. You, get, you know, that's tough. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you can argue that Paul's comment here, if an actual description of what will happen, must be somewhere in the Tanakh. Must be. And I think you've got some evidences. Here's a couple of examples for you. Moshe Rabbeinu. Did he die? Yes. Absolutely. In fact, it appears God killed him. God took his life. His eye was still good. He was strong. Go up to the mountain. You're going to die. Why was he going to die? Because God was going to take him. Where's he buried? We don't know. Who buried him? Big shovel. I'm thinking one scoop. You know what I'm saying? I saw a Star Trek like that. Get a grape. I mean, that's unbelievable. God buried him. Yet, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to Yeshua on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 15. Where's Moses been? Rotting? Some say, I don't know if Chazal say, or if this is in, in Jewish literature, but some say that the, the passage that speaks about Michael uh, debate, you know, debating with Hasatan over the body of Moshe, there's the fact that Hashem resurrected Moshe. He was referring to Daniel, chapter 7 through 12. Okay? Or 9 through 12, I think important. He was disputing over the body of Moses. Well, so where's Mo? Where's he been? Okay. Chariot. Ezekiel. He saw the wheel? That was the chariot. Ezekiel's gone. He dropped something. What did he drop? He dropped his cloak. Who got it? Alicia. Yeah. So where's Zeke right now? Guy never died. Enoch. 
Oh, sorry. Eli uh, I beg your pardon. Eliyahu, yeah. So where is Elijah? He never died. Enoch? Never died. Where are these guys? There's got to be a place. I don't know what you call it. I don't know where it's at. Abraham's bosom? Well, I don't know. Abraham's bosom is a really cool way to put it, though. It appears to be a place of caring. Rest. Rest. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it appears to be in the presence of something. So, I don't know. Did Abraham go to his own bosom? Well, yeah. He's in Abraham's bosom. He's in that place of care, concern, rest, and so forth. And I think that we can say that any guy like that is that. You know who's got, who's got the toughest road to hoe? Lazarus. Whew. Man. If Lazarus believed Yeshua was the Messiah, is living life to the fullest, gets sick and dies, where's, where's Laz? Lord, he stinketh. Something's, something's rotting in there. Where's Laz? Well, his body's in the tomb. Where's the Lazmeister? And then he's got to come back. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was appointed once for man to die and then a judgment. This guy died twice. So the scripture's not true? There are indeed. Yeah, and that raises the question about the others that rose and went into the city and appeared to many. They had like 500 people. Did they, did they ascend? Did they ascend? The 500 people came out of the graves, walked around. Okay, I don't know what's up with that. So, I think, you know, we need to make sure that we're not thinking of heaven as this place way up there with angels fluttering around with little harps and you know, you're hopping from uh, cloud to cloud and you're selling Charmin to the people that don't know any better, you know. I don't think that's what it's like, right? I think the... Yeah. I, th I think the bottom line is that we need to understand that this world is where it's happening. I had a wise man tell me some months ago that the whole Bible is about God fixing the problem and bringing us back to the garden. And I thought that's a really cool way of putting it. I think that's great. And another guy comes to me and say, the whole Bible is about God wanting to move his throne. His throne was in heaven. And he wanted to move his throne to this planet. And that's what this is all about. He cannot reside here unless the people here have no sin. How's he going to fix that? He's going to fix the problem of sin and then he's going to put his throne here and he will reign here. And then clean it back up just like the garden for all eternity. So I think we've got those. We'll have to come back to these at a later time. I will write them down. I won't forget them. But I, I think... This kind of uh, discussion is healthy and it's good and we should do it more often. Um, but I do think that it's difficult to have these kind of conversations and it's difficult for us not to say something that really sounds stupid if we haven't read the book. I mean, do you know how it ends? We win, by the way. That's cool. <laughs> but you know what? <coughs> how it ends is not as important as how it started. And that's why we read the Torah every year. To make sure we get that foundation. Because as we read the prophets, it's got to fit back to that. So if we're reading about turning the cheek, what chapter should come to mind? No. Leviticus 19. Hello. Deuteronomy 22. Hello. You should be able to bring everything in the apostolic writings right back to the Torah. If you can't, then maybe it's not true. But I know it's true. Well, then maybe you don't have your act together. Keep reading. It's got to fit. If it doesn't, it's not Scripture. But we know it's Scripture. Then it's got to fit. Paul cannot come up with something out of thin air. He cannot do it. If he did, he would be a false prophet. And therefore violates 
Deuteronomy 13. And therefore he is liable to capital punishment. That's right. Had to bring it back. All right. Let's... Uh, Yeah, I, I think the neat part about uh, uh, the master is that we can look and see what they kill him for. He made himself out to be God. It's not that he did anything else. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that you have established our we thank you, Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall. You have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Thank you, man. It was a good time.